Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Good to be together. Uh, we are going to uh, continue our study on David. Uh, going to be picking up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And um, there is this section in the Psalms that, uh, beginning in Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, that they are all called Songs of Ascents. Now, we don't use that word uh, very often, right? Uh, we ascend, we, we use that word, and that's, that's, the, that's the heart of what this is, is that when the people of Israel, you know, they would go to Jerusalem how many times a year for the festivals? Four. That was close. Three. <laughs> three. Really close. So they go three times a year, and... Uh, um, when they got when they when they were making their pilgrimage from wherever they were these were the psalms that they would sing on their road trip I mean, what songs do we sing on our road trips right so they, they had it, and so it was all to get ready to be close to god cuz you think about it uh, whenever the the temple was there if you wanted to be close to god you had to go someplace to be close to god that's so foreign to us as Christians because we believe that God's Spirit is where? Everywhere. And especially in the hearts of, of all of us who follow Jesus. And so these songs were a big deal. So in chapter 6, it's the original ascent as the, uh, the uh, uh, ark is taken to Jerusalem. And so I thought we would begin by praying together Psalm uh, one twenty. Uh, the 124, uh, this is one of these songs of ascents that David himself wrote. Let's pray. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say. If the Lord had not been on our side, when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us been torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Let's take a look at chapter 6, start with verse 1. Times are good for David. He has won the battle against the Philistines. He has unified the country. He's captured Jerusalem, a new capital. And he's just going from success to success. So we read verse 1. Then David mobilized 30,000 special troops. He led them to Baalah of Judah to bring home the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it up from the hillside home of Abinadab. So we'll stop there. A lot's happening here. Uh, David's military prowess has grown exponentially. Before this, how many troops did he normally deal with? 
He had his 600, and they were his core, they were trained, but now we've expanded 30,000. He's he's commanding the armies of all 12 tribes. So he wants to move the Ark, which is, what, what is the Ark of the Covenant? It's what? Yeah, it held the Ten Commandments, Moses' staff, and a jar of manna inside of it. But really, that's just uh, extra. The, the ark itself is the throne of God on earth. It bears the name of God, as they're saying here. It is the living reminder of the, the covenant between Israel and God. In the tabernacle, in the temple, it really is considered the the throne of God. So where did everybody learn about the Ark of the Covenant? Be honest. Indiana Indiana Jones. Exactly. Are we ready? So So how this knew before that movie came out? Oh, no, you didn't, Kurt. Don't even. We're in church. Don't lie. Those of us with gray hair. Oh, Okay. The uh, Hollywood actually did a really, really good job. I mean, for the most part, with with the Indiana Jones and the Ark, we got it. Remember? Yeah. So, um, depending on how much gray hair you have, do you, do you remember this scene? So, what what do you not do with the Ark? Shut your eyes, Mary, and don't look at it no matter what happens. So those are the cherubim, and right above that was supposed to be the throne of God. go. So the moral today is the Ark of the Covenant kills Nazis and Frenchmen, sissy Europeans, because God doesn't like them either. So (laughs) there you go. But for what Hollywood does, 
you don't mess with the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's, a, it's an object of extreme power because it represents God. It represents the holiness of God. And what we're going to read here is designed to shock you. And if, if we do our job right, you're going to say, well, why can't God just give a little grace? Why can't God just be easier? And the point of the story is for you to ask that question. So many times when we get into the holiness of God, we expect Him to change what He is as opposed to us having to live up to what He asks us to do. So when we get into this this, this bind, we want God to compromise as if we're the ones that can't change our character. So a, a couple of things. The ark, obviously, very, very sacred. Um, I don't know how to say this. How, how do you move the ark? Do you all know? Yeah, Indiana Jones also did a good job for us, right? Um, there, there you go. You've got the poles. And so a lot of times we get really frustrated with how detailed the Old Testament is. They tell us how long to make these poles. They tell us what kind of wood to make of the poles. It even talks about the handles that you put at the end of the poles. And we think, God, don't, don't be so, so anal retentive. We got it. We, we got this figured out. Except for how does David move the cart? On a cart. So God said... My ark should always be carried by priests with poles. There, it's built in there. That's the way you carry it. There, do we have? There's an Egyptian slide. Is it? Did it come up? Um, yeah, there it is. So this is sort of an older form, but the Egyptians do the same thing. This is. They have a boat, a bark, because their gods always travel in boats. But you can see an ark that they've built above it, and the priests carry it on their shoulders. This is the way that gods process. What's wrong with this, though? It what? The wrong god. Well, it's the wrong god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the Egyptians were so full of crap. The, uh, the, the priests would march through the streets. And if you ask the gods a question, magically the bark would bow. And it's just the priests bending, right? Yes, no. Yes, no. Uh, it's, it's a bunch of garbage. But um, this is how the Egyptians would carry it. We think probably God's using this image because the uh, Hebrews had been in, in Egypt for so long, 400 years. But um, how, how fast can these priests go? Well, not very fast, right? So what would be the motivation of David? He's got 30,000 of his troops out there. He's giving this big procession for the ark. And we have to hand carry it? Oh my gosh, it's going to take forever. We got to walk. We have these things called wheels now. Come on, just put it in the truck and let's go. Why would he put it on the cart? Come on, we got to go, we got to move, we got things to do. I, I mean, and it's one of those things, all right, so God said that we should do it this way. But we're in the modern age. We, we, we got things move faster now, God. Let's just, let's just cut some corners. Just come on, let, let's go with it. We, we can move it. 
So much of that Old Testament stuff, who cares? It doesn't apply to modern day. Come on. The point of this is that David is in charge. And when you're in charge, people under you are affected by your decisions. So let's let's pick up the story. Uzzah and Ahio and Benadam, two sons, were guiding the cart with the ark of God in it. And Ahio walking in front. And David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all their might, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled. Uzzah put out his hand to steady the ark. Then the Lord's anger blazed out against Uzzah for doing this, and God struck him dead beside the ark. David was angry because the Lord's anger had blazed out against Uzzah. He named the place Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah, which it's still called to this day. So they didn't have bungee straps, apparently. You should have put that in the bed of the truck, you know, winch down a little seriously. So the ark, you saw about the size of it. It's made of acacia wood. It's covered in sheet gold. It's not probably the most sturdy thing. Uh, this has been several centuries since they've been out of, of Egypt. Uh, it's, uh, it's probably pretty fragile. So they're moving it in a way they're not supposed to. Uh, it's apparently not entirely secure. David has sent the troops out. He is celebrating. He has two people that are watching it. But you're not supposed to touch the ark. Why not? What's wrong with touching it? God said not to do it. It's holy. And we're not. And a lot of times that sounds, we just, we will moralize that. But I do a little experiment with the kids in confirmation that's a lot of fun. I should stop telling the story because the kids will hear it. But I do a vampire test. I tell the kids that we've got definitive evidence that one of them is actually a vampire. So I bring holy water out of the sanctuary, and I have three random kids stick their hands in the holy water. And two of the kids will be fine, and then one of the kids' hands will start foaming and burning and turning bright red. In which case, we all determine that's the vampire, and we hit them and beat them and spit on them and you know have a good time. But what I actually do is just take rubbing alcohol and fill it in a basin. And the mentors will find a kid that has a cut and a sore on their hands. So when they stick their hand in, it burns them, right? And the kid's like, I'm not a vampire. I'm not. I'm really a liar. Burn them. Um, it makes confirmation very memorable because we scar them in public. You know, it's this great thing. But it makes this perfect lesson, right? What, what's the difference between the first two kids and the last kid? Well, it's the wound. It's the cut. And God warns us of this over and over. I am pure. I'm not corrupt like you are. And so when you enter in my presence, that which is impure is consumed up. This is the way that it is. This is why I work so hard to get sin out of you, to take it away. You expect me 
to just accept sin. I cannot do that. I will not do that. I'm not going to be less than myself. So he's created these rules to protect us from the impact of his holiness. Now he wants to be here. He wants to have, in a sense, his throne here with us. But David has started to cut corners, right? We got to get this show on the road. We got to move. We got to move. David should have priests, Levites, uh, that are they're carrying this thing. They are trained to know what to do. So, is it fair that God killed this guy for trying to protect his honor? What would have happened if this thing fell? I mean, theoretically, could have broken. Um, I mean, if Indiana Jones is to believe the top could fall out and all this hell break loose, that's actually just fiction. But whose fault is it? It's David's. David is in charge. When you're in charge, you need to know what you're doing, especially when it comes to God. You can't cut corners. You can't expect God to not be holy. Uh, this is the most sacred thing Israel has for a reason. It's not a political prop. It's not uh, David's new, hey, come to my capital. So, hey, has, he, has he gotten mad yet? Yeah, he, well, he's eight. fixing to get mad. Yeah, so verse 8, then, angry, then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath. And so um, you see something like that, and I do think that that is our natural inclination is to get mad at the one who executed the justice, right? And what should have what what should have been like David at his best at his best moment? What should have been the response from David? Yeah, Lord, I have sinned. Remember, it takes Nathan getting in his face, like later on in the in in the story after he uh, uh, commits all the the crime against uh, Bathsheba and Uriah and all of that. Um, it takes Nathan getting, I, Lord, I have sinned, and he should have taken responsibility for this. I mean, just the the, the chapter right before, and David is locked in. He is locked in the partnership. He is trusting in God's leading. He is doing what God is inviting him to do. And things are going well. And then this happens. Lord, I have sinned. Like, can you think of some times in your life where you have become angry with God? And I think we're, we're of the mind that it's okay to be angry with God. Uh, God can take it, right? But the fact of the matter is that God is good, right? He is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That is God's character. And that if his wrath does break out, what is the purpose of God's wrath? Restoration. It is never just... God's ticked off, so now I'm going to hurt somebody. That's not how God works. It's just not. Ha it's just not the way it is, right? And so this 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 sight that David experienced, and maybe he was close to this guy. We don't really know. Uh, 
But that should have been the the, uh, response. Lord, I have sinned in repentance. And this becomes the bane of David's, the rest of David's life, is that when these things go south, David is slow to repent. Instead, he takes matters into his own hands. So now, it's almost as if this great thing was about to happen, and we're taking the ark up to Jerusalem, we're going to make God a permanent place there in the city, and now he just throw, he, he just, he's just mad, and he's going to relegate God's presence off to the sideline again. And that is always hurtful when we do that, right? When we're mad and angry at God for whatever's going on in our life, the last thing that we need to do is to withdraw from God. I actually heard that uh, just this past week. Uh, there's some there's a person in our church that's going through some difficult times, and um, they 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 said these words to me, and I was just stunned by it. In a time where I should be drawing closer to God, I feel myself pulling away. May that not be with us. So let's continue on with the story. As Steve said, God's God's there. God has been consistent with what he said. Uh, David has led inappropriately. People have suffered. I think this sets the theme for the rest of David's life. Yeah. So many people are going to suffer because David cuts moral corners. He is getting into the sense where he thinks God is in his back pocket. God's on my side. No matter what I do, I can ignore the scriptures. I can cut corners. I can move the ark faster. I'm the wonder kid. It, I, what I do is, is golden. Um, and people consistently suffer. David is a man after God's own heart, but he is not God. And so this wake-up call, I think that God has given him. Someone has died, and it's David's fault. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord and asked, how can I bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? That's, that's an incredible question, David. You probably should have started chapter 6 with that question. How can I do this? What do I need? Uh, let, let me be careful. Let me check. Let me get the priests. Let me get the poles. But David decided to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Or So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. He took it instead to the home of Obed-Edom of Gath. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that should make us, what? what? The city of Gath, we've talked about it a couple times. Who's from there? Samson. No? Goliath. This is uh, probably well, a Philistine, probably. I mean, his, his name means red-headed like farmer. Um, so uh, a random dude, uh, Philistine, David's dumping it off his, his house. So it's like they're, they're passing through. Uh, they see a trailer park, and David's like, uh, let's ditch it there. What? What, what happened to this? I am, I am praising the Lord with symbols and uh, just, just dump it over there. I, I, I got nothing. Uh, uh, he's scared. So, so just ponder this for a second. Earlier in first, at, at the beginning of 1 Samuel, the Philistines actually capture the ark. And now David is willingly placing it in their city. 
it's crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I, I, I think the guys from Gath. I don't think they're putting it in Gath. Oh, not not. Uh, okay. Got yeah. It. Surely not. I mean, you. Who knows? <laughs> With David, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, uh, taking it back to the. Um, the Ark of the Lord remained there with the family of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So, so good things are happening, even though this, this guy, this Philistine, probably knows not the foggiest thing about taking care of the Ark. It's probably in a barn somewhere, terrible. That's uh, <laughs> exactly right. The guy's like, I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't mess with it. I, I, I just leave it in the barn. Um, and like Steve said, this is really making the point. God's not punitive. He's not trying to be mean. Uh, he's not hateful. Um, but he's also not our doormat. He is here to bless us. That's why this thing is here. That's why he's willing to put his throne here on earth with us, because he wants to be with us. But we can't ever get into this mode like we did in the garden, where we think, God is my genie. God is Santa Claus. God is here to do whatever I want. If I want a big prop and make a big spectacle about my new capital that now has the ark in it, and I do it wrong, there's going to be consequences, and people are going to suffer. Today, I think this scenario is exactly what's rocking the church, especially mainline denominations, to their core. We want God to conform to modern sensibilities, right? God, that's, that's old-fashioned. It's too slow. It doesn't make sense. We're different people, blah, blah, blah. And, and you can hear God say, I'm not going to stop being holy. I, I don't know who you think you are, but, but I'm not. My job and love and care is to make you more holy, not me more worldly. And you'll see Israel struggle with this so, so strongly. They, they should be becoming more like God. In many ways, they become more worldly, more like their neighbors. And it's repeated itself with the church. What is the major motivating factor for much of the church now? To be culturally relevant, politically appropriate, or to be faithful to Scripture? And I, all the way back here, I think when we, we get that dial wrong, we, we get in trouble. And as leaders, as pastors, as leaders of the church, it, it's on us. People will follow the way that we lead. And if we lead them in the wrong direction, people are going to suffer. It's, it's, it's going to be bad. But at the end of the day, God's point is not to curse, but to bless. In a sense, David set up the Garden of Eden in this Philistine's house, in his barn, probably. Um, because the Tree of Life, the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, is, is blessing this guy. Even though he's a foreigner, uh, he's, he's getting it. So David, getting past his anger, is realizing, yeah, okay, I, I, I messed up. Uh, this is supposed to be a source of blessing. So we pick up in verse 12. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's home and everything he has because the Ark of the Covenant. So David went there and brought the Ark of the, to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying it had gone six steps, 
Okay, so what just happened there? Yeah, we um, somebody broke open the Bible for a minute and actually read it. You know, totally unrelated story, but makes me think of this. When I was in uh, graduate school in the uh, Memphis, Tennessee, the uh, university had a museum collection, well, a collection of Egyptian stuff, including several mummies. And uh, part of my job one time was going through the mummies. I think I've talked about that. But a lot of them were in really bad shape. And I was asking, what, what happened to these? Well, one of the, the first uh, sort of founders of the museum used to take the mummies out and show different schools and stuff. And he used to put them in the back of the pickup truck and just drive around with these thousand-year-old mummies. Again, how very Tennessee is that? Um, yeah, officer, I got a couple mummies in the back. But it always reminds me of this story. It's like, you put the Ark of the Covenant where? You know, in the back of the truck, and we went. But now, okay, we've got people carrying it. It's not going to slip. Everybody's going to be safe. We, we've learned our lesson. It's horrible that somebody had to die for us to learn the lesson. But David has learned deep down that God... It's not his genie. There's ways that we have to do this. But ultimately, that God is here to bless, here to do good. God is not capricious. He wants things done a certain way, but he's here to bless. Remember what the... And I think this is really important just relative to what the ark represents, uh, represents God's throne, and that from God's throne, what comes out... I mean, the stuff on the Indiana Jones, that's a little bit crazy, right? But it's blessing. The, uh, the, like the most ancient meaning of the word Baruch, blessing, is to kneel. And so it's, it's God's way of kneeling, right? Coming down and being present to his people, and out of that blessing flows. And that's what God's presence is for, and it's all about, and is to be handled very wisely. It, it does seem a little bit self-serving on David's part, Kurt, that once he sees that this blessing has happened, like, oh, changing my mind here, right? <laughs> but God's good with that, uh, because not only was his mind changed, but his heart was changed with the carrying, and he, he's, he's doing it right now. And I... I really pray that for all of us, that you can go through that process that David went through. You have this realization that when you talk to God, it's not just your conscience. It's not just something we've inherited. It's an incredibly powerful being who shouldn't be played with, shouldn't be toyed with. But yet, the other side is true. This, this incredibly powerful God wants, wants to bless us. Um, to get personal here in a painful way, I've sort of been through this long night of the soul and then come out the other side. And it, it really, really changed me. When Lisa and I lost our first child, I was pissed. I was angry. I was crushed. I really had this in my head that I was a pastor. I had given my life to serve God. And really one of my greatest fears is that I would lose a child. And that was visited upon me. And so I went through this really hard time in my life when, just like David, I was pissed. I was angry. 
how dare you do this to me? And you sort of live with that for a while and you realize, man, I have things really screwed up uh, as to who is God and who is not. And it, it's one thing to read it here, but it's a total another thing to experience it, to walk through and realize God is good. He is going to do what he's going to do. And there's a reason for that. You may not always understand it, but he loves you and he is far beyond us. And it's, it's balancing these two things that really make us, I think, effective men of God. One, let God be God. Listen to what he says. Obey it. Follow it. Even if you sometimes don't understand it, we still have to adhere to the word. On the other hand, know that he is good. He loves you. He's not always going to do what you tell him to do, and that's a great thing. So, so hold on to that. Let's try to finish up here this little section. Um, after the man who her carrying had gone six steps... They stopped and waited so David could sacrifice an ox and a fatted calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly tunic. So David and all of Israel brought up the ark to the Lord with much shouting and blowing of trumpets. So this is telling us verbatim, David has read now Deuteronomy, uh, part of Deuteronomy, part of Leviticus, how to move it. He's offering the appropriate sacrifices. He is having the right people do it. David has kind of assumed the role of a priest, which we're going to talk about uh, next time. Uh, this is a, kind of a different role for him. He's been king, he's been warrior, but he is, he is dressed in linen, uh, which is reserved for, for the priests. So, any questions? Yes. <laughs> I wish. Oh my gosh, I, I I would set it up right in there. No, we we don't. We we have no idea. Uh, Indiana Jones is as probably as right as anybody else. The Ethiopians say they have it, but they won't let anybody see it. Um, the Jews say that it was hidden before the Romans. Um, took Jerusalem, so it's maybe in the caves. Every once in a while you hear some guy say, oh yeah, I found it. Boy, if we find it, what are we not going to do? <laughs> Nobody touch it. Go find a Jew with a stick <laughs> and we'll get it out of there. But um, Wouldn't that be an interesting day for us all if, if we found that? Um, but we don't need it. We don't need it, yeah. It would just be... Interesting reminder of a few things. Um, just real quick, uh, before Kurt prays, I uh, got a call from Price Robinson uh, last night. He, he comes to our Bible study, and um, his dad is on his uh, last days. And, um, and so kind of came came suddenly, but he's his dad, his name is Carl. He's on hospice now and probably won't make it to the end of the week. And they also have a family wedding coming up a week from uh, Saturday. And so Price is just experiencing a lot of pressure right now. Uh, a lot of things that he's juggling, and so he would really appreciate our encouragement and prayers. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we do bow before you. Ever reminded that you are our creator, our sustainer, our savior, 
and our Lord. It is not our place to tell you, Lord, what to do or how to shape our lives. Out of mercy, you do hear our prayers. Out of kindness and love, you do often bend your ear to what we want. But at the end of the day, O Lord, you are a leader who is responsible and you do what is needed so that we get every chance that we can to choose what is right, to choose you, to choose to become more like you instead of trying to make you more like us. Father God, humble us today, for we know we do lead. There are those whose livelihoods depend on us. There are those who form their opinions about you based on what we say. Help us today to remember moving this ark. We can't do it in a fast way that seems modern and sensible. We've got to listen to your word and do what is right. As always, we, re- we remember that you're with us, for us, trying to encourage us, trying to bless us. Let us be part of that instead of trying to tell you what to do. We do pause, O oh Lord, to remember Carl as he faces his last days. In so many ways, O oh Lord, you prepare us to come home with excitement, with joy, and yet it scares us to leave all that we've known. So be with Carl, be with Price, and that entire family. And may that birthing on the other side be something that is not frightening, but joyful. For when we get home, it will all make sense. The answers will come, and the joy will never end. Help us to live for that day. And until then, may we be found to be holy in the life that you put us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.